Welcome to Encounter. We want nothing more than to help you find and follow Jesus. If you're a college student in Central Illinois, join us Monday nights, ISU's campus. We'd love to see you there. I don't know why they always bring young, hip people to lead these kind of seminars for you. <laughs> this is young and hip. Actually, after my age, I watch, make sure I don't break a hip or something. But, but it's good to be with you. I am honored to be here. Turn to the person next to you and say, pay attention. You really need this, if, if you don't mind. I don't know. I don't know how serious to start. Let me, let me pitch in a couple of things as we get started. Number one, is it an incredible privilege to get to visit with you? I don't take it lightly. You guys have been in classes. You've been working. You've got life. Some of you got up at 2 this afternoon. But honestly, to come, you've, you've given a lot. And I don't want this to sound as arrogant as going to come across, and I know it's, it's going to, and I apologize for that. My goal in the time that I get to spend with you is not to have some nice talks that, that maybe were passable. I'm, I'm fed up to here with the brokenness of the homes you came from. If I were to ask you, ask you to stand up one by one and say, tell me about where you came from. I know, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt, most of you in this room would say, I, I, I don't want to duplicate what I, what I was raised with. Most of you in this room are desperate so that your five-year-old child doesn't have to go through the three-ring circus you went through. Most of you in this room would give your right arm not to end up with the crazy high school romances you saw and the crazy stuff you've seen in college. And you're trying to figure out, how do I make a home that's joyful and a delight? And how do, I, how do I thrive in a home? And how can my wife or husband, if I ever have that, or my children, if God ever gives that to me, how do I have, how do I have what I craved but, but didn't get to see enough of? Others of you in this room, somebody needs to give you a permission to thrive as a single. Because the culture doesn't. And maybe if you'll let an old guy stand here for a second and to say to you, your singleness is one of the sweetest gifts God has ever given you. And your singleness is an incredible stage of your journey. And I don't know what that journey will look like, but I want you to thrive and embrace it and see it for what it is instead of having the world lie to you about your singleness. Your sexuality. Oh man, we've gotten so lost. I want to spend a weekend, and here's the arrogant part. I don't want to have some nice talks. I want to change your life. There's a half a dozen to a dozen people in this room who could present this weekend better than I could present it. But I've got the opportunity. My background's pretty simple. I've lived with college kids my whole life. I preached at the College Heights Christian Church for 33 years. I don't know if you've picked up on that or not, but College Heights. 
I was surrounded on two sides by, by Missouri Southern State University, had about 6,000, 7,000 students. I mean, they, they butted both sides of our building. Since 1996, I've already well had college kids living with me. I've raised my own kids. I, I stepped out of the, of the senior preaching ministry where I was at all those years. In the last eight years, I've been a staff at Ozark Christian College, and I have the finest job in all the world, bar none, bar none. Because I teach a, a, a couple classes every semester, but I, and they're kind enough to ask for more, but I, I cap it at two because my number one job is can I sit down with you and have a cup of coffee? Can we talk through? Well, let's talk through life. Can I be the old man who lives next door who became your friend? And so all I, I have about a 1,000 sessions every school year just sitting and drinking coffee and having conversations I'm just about to turn 69, and my closest friends are 18 to 22-year-olds. <laughs> my job is not to tell you how you ought to do it in your generation. God does something new in every generation. My job is to get a front-row seat and see what God's up to in your generation, and it's a privilege. But part of my job is to save you from the scars and the hurts and the wounds. Part of the job of an old man is to turn back and meet you about mile marker 24 and, and walk to mile marker 29 with you and say, can I, can, I, can I help you avoid what your parents walked into? Can I help you avoid what, what life does in relationships? And by the grace of God, we'll do that this weekend. I've said before, I wished we'd have lost the recipe for fire. Instead, we lost the recipe for home. We lost the recipe for relationships that flourish. We, we, we've forgotten how to go home and be safe and, and, and to have great joy. Why? We're going to take a journey and talk that through and see if we can't get you somewhere where you have clarity on how to take a better journey. What's the problem? Well, the problem is not your instincts in themselves. I don't know a better way to teach this. My apology to some of you who have heard me three years ago here, but it's just the framework I see through. Everybody was born with the instinctive desire to love and be loved. That's instinctive. I, I, I grew up on a cow-calf operation, um, southwest Missouri. I, it still fascinates me to see a calf born uh, and hit the ground. And that little old calf, when it hits the ground, has four little old sticks it begins to stand up on. And it's never stood up on legs before. It shakes trying to figure out how to put coordination, but it knows instinctively to stand. And then that calf, and, and you could do any, anything we wanted to, whales, birds. But this calf, by instinct, knows to go try to find milk that it's never tasted before and the calf begins to take its forehead and begin to bump against that cow and it's bumping and looking for something that nobody's ever drawn a diagram for and the calf will find an udder and the calf begins to latch on and a calf begins to find life because God put an instinct there whales migrate without a single oak tree to tell them which way to go 
You were born with the instinctive desire to love and be loved. You're made in the image of God, and God's creative, and he made you creative, and, and God cares about mercy, so you care about mercy. You are the shadow in the image of God. That's, that's, he's the greater, you're the lesser, but you, you're the shadow of God. And part of what he put in you is the great desire to love and be loved. Be ye saint or be ye scoundrel, you have the instinctive desire to love and be loved. But if it's instinctive, then how come it doesn't work? Because it's not working very well. I mean, I, I could ask for a show of hands and say, did most of your friends with their homes, which you want to duplicate, most of your parents, and, 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 and I guarantee that far less than half of the crowd would raise their hand. So what's wrong if we're born with the instinctive desire to love and be loved? It should just be natural. Just find a girl, find a guy, date, do what's natural, follow it through. Should blossom, right? No. Here's the problem. While the desire to love and be loved is instinctive, the ability to love is not. The ability to love requires a certain wholeness that you have to have. It requires a wholeness of your character. It love makes claims on you, claims that are hard to do, and they require a personal maturity. I, I joke about it. My wife is actually the one I heard her say the phrase, there's a reason we don't let nine-year-olds get married. Why? Because nine-year-olds will have an instinctive desire to love and be loved, but when they reach into their wholeness and their character, they come out empty-handed. I want to use a, more of a metaphor for this than literal, but if, I could, if, if you'll let me use this, every single one of you has a craving from your heart not just to be loved, but to love. But that's not enough. Because you have to reach into another part of your life, and I'm going to call it backbone. And you have to reach into your backbone and pull out the character and wholeness that allows you to love. The claims that love makes on you are high. They require that you have courage to speak the right thing when you didn't want to, that you be patient when you didn't want to, that you be forbearing and to overlook things when you didn't want to, that you know how to have hard conversations and keep your own emotions in check. They require that you know how to take your own life and serve somebody else and not make yourself sinner. Love has high standards. Immaturity has low standards. Immaturity makes no claims on you. All you got to do is survive. All you got to do is respond. All you got to do is just act when it feels right. Immaturity has no standards. But maturity has high ones. I don't know why God gave me the role he gave me as a kid. I wasn't much older than you guys when marriage just started lining up to meet with me. I can say without, a, without any question, for close to 50 years, I've had two new families every single week that were struggling. And they've sat in my office and bawled. And I've heard story after story after story. So I think I can tell you what went wrong with your parents. I, I think I can tell you. I think I can even tell you what went wrong between you and your dad. I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm not trying to be flippant. Here's what I can tell you, and I, and, I, and I say this with great confidence. Your dad wanted to love you. Your dad didn't look at you as a 4-year-old or 7-year-old or 12-year-old or 15-year-old and go, you're so unlovable, I don't want to love you. 
Your dad didn't look at you as a six-year-old and go, you know what, you're so worthless, I'd rather have a mistress and other stepkids and all those things. That isn't what happened. Your dad wanted to love you. But the problem was your dad was so underdeveloped and so immature in his ability. He may have been able to run businesses. He may be charismatic. He may have all kinds of external talents. But what he was was underdeveloped in the place that matters. So while he wanted to love from here, he reached into his character to bring out what love requires. And he came out empty-handed, more like an empty well. I can about guarantee you your dad cried himself to sleep multiple nights going, why I'm not trying to be as obnoxious. Why in the hell isn't this working? I can about guarantee you your dad slammed his fist against the dashboard of his pickup when he drove away some days going, why in the world doesn't this work? You felt all along like you were so worthless your dad didn't want to love you. That isn't the case at all. Your dad desperately wanted to love you in most cases. But when he reached into his backbone. So at first he blamed himself. Oh, he may have never said it publicly because of his pride. But you can only do that so long before you either have to get well or you go to such despair. So he switched to blame. It's your mom's fault. The way she walks across the floor just drives him crazy. The way you talk too much. The way you don't talk enough. The way you do this. The way you do that. If you just would be, and so you grew up with blame, truth was, it never was you. Love makes claims on you. Here's the first thing I'm going to, I'm going to put a number of big rocks out here. I don't even know exactly, I ought to tell you how they all touch. But here's the first big rock I'll give you. You have to have A season of successful singleness in order to develop the kind of character that love is going to require when you have a spouse or when you have a five-year-old and a 12-year-old or a 17-year-old. Most of you grew up with people in your life who wanted to love you, but they didn't successfully go through singleness the way they should. Singleness is a journey that they can really honestly go with God alone to be repaired. Come on, Frodo, we have a journey to take. And a season of successful singleness is required or you'll end up making promises you can't keep. Do you want to know what's what's wrong with high school romances? It's two kids who desperately want to be loved and to love one another, but we're not capable of living out what love requires. Do you want to know what's wrong with most college romances? We desperately want to love and be loved, but we don't have what love requires. The first stage in a great relationship is not the primary relationship with another person. It's a relationship with the healer who will heal me. Otherwise, dating everything else becomes the drug of choice. And we use other people to fix what's wrong in us. And so successful singleness is required. You say, well, if you just try. He didn't, the trouble with that junior in high school, he didn't try. Well, he may not have. He may have such a jerk and so immature he didn't. But I guarantee you, even the non-jerks were trying. But trying's not enough. 
actually trans not enough. You guys look at me. You can tell the fine specimen of an athlete I am. <laughs> tell me that all of you would have your college paid for and your graduate work paid for if all I have to do is run a marathon. 26.2 miles run every single step of 26.2 miles and somebody's going to, if, if I run 26.2 miles, every single one of you get your college all freely paid. You would cheer for me, root for me. I would want to run 26.2 miles every single step. Look at me. Do you think it's going to happen? Do I look like a runner to you? Well, Randy, if you just try, no. No, trying is overrated. No, and uh, trying certainly beats not trying. You see, I can't try to run to a marathon tomorrow morning. Now, I could train to a marathon. Give me six months, give me seven months. I can train to it, and I can run a marathon. But I can't try to it. So stupid illustration, I apologize. So you walk up to me and say, you know, Randy, I got this abnormality in the brain, and you look like a nice guy. Would you do my brain surgery? And I go, I'll try. <laughs> run, child, run. Why? Because no matter how sincere I am, no matter how much effort I put into it, I can't try to do your brain surgery. Let me, I used to say, let me train to it. I, give me 11 years, I'd be an 80-year-old man. No, you do, no, you're not going to let me do it. But any of you in this room, you can train to it, give you 11 years, and you can do it. Here's what I want to say to some of you in this room. I'm not trying to break you up right now. I'm honestly not, but here's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you some of you in this room are the most courageous people I know because you have refused to, to, to sip the drug of the world, which is another person to go fix whatever it is, and you actually are in the process of healing and coming to wholeness in your own life. You have to come to wholeness in your own life. You have to be repaired by Jesus before you can be in a relationship here. The first relationship required of you is not somebody who you hold their hand sitting in an in, in assembly. The first relationship is Christ. I need repaired. I need repaired with you individually. I need repaired in community. I need repaired among, among my friends. I've been to so many weddings through the years. I have no idea how many weddings I've done. I, 700, I have no idea. But I catch myself angry at some weddings. Because I know that the man who stands here and holds this girl's hand, he's not really equipped to go home and look after her in a selfless way. And I'm ticked at him, and I'm ticked at the groomsmen because they're accomplices. Because they lived such a shallow community and they lived among each other as a brotherhood in such shallow ways that they weren't repaired. And she's going to go home with a guy who wants to love her probably. But his wholeness and his character is, is lacking. Same thing happens on this half of the stage as well. Your first part of the journey... It's not with somebody else. You don't try to a relationship, you train to it. And a season of successful singleness is required. 
Yeah, did you notice, if you read through the book of Proverbs, if we took just the weekend and just tore the book of Proverbs apart, do you know the book of Proverbs tells you to run from an angry man, run from an angry woman? It tells you to run from a foolish man. Let me just summarize it. Run from a foolish man. Why? Because they're not valuable? Oh, no, they're incredibly valuable. A foolish individual in the book of Proverbs can be a really wicked person. Don't misunderstand me, but most of the time, most of the time, the foolish person in the book of Proverbs is not the wicked, horrible person. It's just somebody who hasn't developed enough wholeness to live out the life that they want to live. I love my grandkids. I got 11 of them scattered from starting college to a one-year-old. I love my grandkids. But my grandkids, let me pick my fifth grader or my eighth grader or my sophomore. They're foolish. No, 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 don't, don't misunderstand me. Love them dearly. They're supposed to be. They're fifth graders and eighth graders. But the book of Proverbs would say, no, as wonderful as they are, they ought not be in a relationship because the wholeness is not there. Turn, if you've got your Bible, grab to, turn to Proverbs 25. Proverbs 25. Proverbs 25, 28 in particular. Proverbs 25 says, like a city without walls is a man who lacks discipline. Now, I don't know how yours words it, but that's the gist of it. Like a city without walls is a man without discipline. Now, the Hebrew word for discipline there is pretty close to the, to the, to the Hebrew word for wisdom. Similar kind of idea. A man without wholeness, a woman without wholeness, is like a city without walls. Now, some of you would go, wow, that's really powerful. And you go, what? What is that about? Let me see if I can't paint it out here a little bit. I want you to picture two cities. I want you to picture a city with walls, and I want you to picture a city without walls at the time the book of Proverbs is written. In both cities, they want the same things. They tuck their little kids in, their five-year-olds in bed at night and kiss them on the forehead and say, I'll see you in the morning, sweetheart. In both cities, they, they have old men and women who hold hands and go for walks in the evening. In both cities, they're, they're, they're having t-ball games in the backyard. In both cities, they, they take the winter wheat and put it aside in, in bins so they can plant it next spring so they can have a harvest. City with walls, a city without walls. They want the same thing. But come spring, they have two different outcomes. You see, the city without walls, it's all falling apart. Raiders came in and carried the kids off. Thieves came in and took the winter wheat. Marauders came in and killed the old man in front of the old woman. And the city without walls is unprotected. The most dangerous man or woman on the face of the earth is probably not the scoundrel. The scoundrel you don't let very deep in your life. 
a guy or gal who's a snake, you kind of back off and go, whoa, not in my life. No, the most dangerous man or woman on the face of the earth is well-intentioned, is, is the well-intentioned and likable and funny and charismatic and as lovable as my grandkids. But he's never put enough wisdom in his life to live out what it requires to be selfless and to love a life, wife well. And he's funny and he's handsome and he... He loves the same thing she loves, and she, she commits her life to this guy because he wants the right things, and she will go home, and she will be like a city without walls. That's why some of you went home with fathers that were men without walls. And some of you were raised by moms who were moms without walls. They wanted the right thing but they had bypassed the very thing they were called to be, which is whole enough and repaired enough to live out the claims that love makes on you. I love a passage of 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. It's not the only passage in Scripture that says it, but I love it. Most of the time, by the way, I mean, you, you don't need the Greek language because the English will lead you to Jesus and lead you to the Lord plenty sufficiently. But every now and then the Greek language has a punchiness to it that you just go, wow, it's just got more color to it than I knew. First Thessalonians 5.23 says himself, God himself, the God of peace. May he sanctify you through and through so that your whole spirit, soul, and body can be, found, can be found sound and blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. And the one who promised you is faithful. He will do it. Some of the most courageous people in this room are people who recognize that you and the Lord have a journey to take and you're not selling out early. Yes, you can be friends and yes you can even go on dates and yes you can be with somebody but you recognize that God you're going to need to do a healing in me and a repair God I'm shallow I'm well intentioned but I'm shallow and I have the courage to live out the journey of repair that concept is why singleness ought to be honored by all of us. It ought to be held high. But there are individuals, individuals who bail out of this season way too early because the drug of choice will be somebody else. Somebody else will make me feel better about myself. Somebody else will cause me... Probably three reasons people bail out. Number one is fear. What would it say about me if somebody didn't want me? And boy, I'm really fearful what it would say. And so I need somebody so to, because I don't want it saying that nobody wants me. Fear, fear of the future by myself with just my God. Oh, no, we always live in community, so let me keep that. But fear, fear of the future. I want somebody else which is basically saying, God, you're not sufficient, not, and your community is not sufficient. It's fear. Fear of missing out. 
Or here's the second reason we bail out of this. Pride. Just straight arrogance. Other people have somebody. I deserve somebody. Other people have somebody. I want somebody who falls all over themselves for me. There's some guys in this room. There's some gals in this room. Bless your heart. You don't love other people. You have an arrogance that you use other people. Your spirit is not one of giving. It's one of taking. And I'm not mad at you. I'm really not. I, I hurt for you. And I also hurt for other people around you because you're like a four-year-old with a baseball bat. Nobody's safe with a four-year-old with a baseball bat. And you use people. For some of you, it's fear. For some of you, it's pride. There's a third reason you bail out. It's lust. We're a pornographic world. Every single one of you has been raised like you're in a brothel. I'm serious. You, you just have. You knew far more about sexual function starting as a six-year-old and you've been raised around your whole life and porn runs up to your eyebrows and the world basically doesn't know what a human being is and so they try to figure out what a human being is and we simply start with our sexuality and so there's individuals who go of course I can't be I can't be okay because my sex life's not getting man it's such a lie And they say to themselves, I'll love all of you if you let me love part of you first. Let me love part of you first. And I'll pretend like I love all of you, but I I can't love all of you until you give me part of you. Oh, that's going to play out well. I know where that'll go. So for some of you, it's going, of course I'm not good right now. I have these sexual desires and and it's been fed by porn and life and culture and, 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 and 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 I can't act it out except in showers and bedrooms by myself. And if I just had a person in my life, I'd be happy and content and good. No, 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 you wouldn't. You're a thief. You're an embezzler. But for most of you, it won't be that blatant, of course I need to use somebody sexually. It's a funny thing. Lust disguises itself. about to scare you on what I'm about to say. And it's not the case with everyone. There's more than one reason for what I'm about to say, but lust will often disguise itself as loneliness. It's a craving. And so the higher the loneliness is often one of the ways that lust twists and uses itself. Irony is to come to the Lord for my healing and to come to community for my healing. It is crazy what it will do to your loneliness and your lust begins to drop like crazy. Is it possible your loneliness is just lust disguising itself? I love... Jesus, so many reasons and ways. But I'm blown away by the visual picture of him going in to Nazareth and what probably 
I'm guessing it's Luke 5. And he goes into Nazareth and he says, give me the, the scroll from Isaiah. And he opens up the scroll from Isaiah. And the gist of it is I've come to set the captive free. Most of us knew I need redeemed by Jesus from my sin. What we didn't know is I need redeemed by Jesus from my story. The story I've been telling myself, the story I swallowed, the story that I believe, the story the culture handed to me. And one of the sweetest things God will give you is release to the captive. And it'll happen in many, many ways. But one of them is you need released from the story. I think there's a, a sequence that occurs. But I know the first one. Is I can't make an idol of anybody else. I've got to go to the Lord. And he's got to be my healer. And I have to live in community and I have to live in solitude. God uses both. Abraham, get off in the desert by yourself. David, off in the desert by yourself. Moses, off in the desert by yourself. Elijah, off in a raven, you know, for the ravens feed you by yourself. Jeremiah, off by yourself. Solitude will be a part of your healing. Community will be a part of your healing. And Jesus will use them both. But I can pretty well bet you his number one deal is you just need a boyfriend or girlfriend so you can be healed. That ain't it. In fact, before the weekend is done, I want to describe for you three systems of why we love who we love and how love works in our culture. I don't even know where to go because that's been making stage one. I've I got to find another hole. Give me a bigger stage. I'll put them here. There's a system of love that exists in our culture that's kind of a one to three year relationship. It may last 50 years, but it sucks all the life out in the first three years. And it's, del- it's a direct bailout from over there. It's your, it's, most of your high school romances were this system. By the way, there's another system. It's a five to eight year. And there's another one that's a lifetime love that grows deeper and better. You want this one. But we have an entire system of love where you can bail out of this one. I, I, I didn't get repair, but I found a shortcut. What it is is two people who don't have enough wholeness in life and that wholeness can hide itself, by the way. You can look incredibly successful and everybody brags on you. But you don't have enough internal wholeness. And so he leans this way and she leans this way. And they find each other and, oh, they fell in love. Oh, it was deep and it was real and it felt like love. And, and he goes, I'm good for her. And, and she says, I'm good for him. I mean, I could do any number of stories that go with this. She doesn't feel pretty enough, skinny enough, talented enough, well-liked enough. She doesn't feel accepted by her family. Doesn't feel like her friends get her, but, but he gets her. And meanwhile, one of the hardest things to be in this culture is a, is a boy. This culture is, I think, toughest on girls, but man, it's hard for a boy. 13-year-old boys grow up and nobody needs them. I'm being serious, nobody needs them. 
I'm just speaking from a boy's standpoint. Uh, nobody needs them to keep the wolves away from the sheep. Nobody needs them to keep the firewood at the house. Nobody needs to, 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 to keep income coming in. No, no, nobody needs a 13-year-old boy, and he has a weird sense of humor. A weird sense of humor. Um, <laughs> he smells funny. He makes bad jokes. And so the average 13-year-old boy is, is sort of, hey, we love you, kid. You're a great kid. But go off in the, the other room and entertain yourself. I mean, it, it, and 13-year-old boys learn to go off by themselves and entertain themselves, and, and they just become, quite frankly, self-absorbed because that's life. But there's a girl who thinks he really matters, and there's a girl who needs him. And they find each other. And boy, it's deep in love, and, and we're deeply in love. No, it's a crutch relationship. It's a crutch relationship. And it has a shelf life about one to three years. I mean, any number of ways you could do this, but she's finishing up college or in her career, and, and, and she's tired of this, you know, sweet mates and life, and all her friends are having little white houses and picket fence and cocker spaniels and having babies, and she doesn't have anybody, and he's kind of tired of his own life, and he doesn't really like it as well, and he's kind of joked about everybody else's bit in the dust, but he's not, and, 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 and yet he's tired of doing his own laundry. I joke every three months, having to do a load of laundry or something. Uh, he's tired of fixing his own meals, and those two will find each other. She thinks he's hot, and he thinks she's terrific. The problem is, about two years into their marriage, she looks in a mirror and she doesn't feel happy. She, I, I don't feel pretty enough, skinny enough, talented enough, well-liked enough. She's already surprised at how her body's changing. She's already surprised at how life is. And, and she thinks to herself, I always thought, man, if the right guy loved me, I'd be okay. And she still thinks, if the right guy loved me, I guess I'd be okay. It basically has at its core that we'll give our love to somebody if they'll meet our needs. So instead of staying here and being repaired, I run out here and find somebody to give my love to if you'll meet my needs. Now, nobody said it like that, but that's what happened. You realize that you live in a world that has a cheap answer to our incompleteness. You came into life without your own wholeness. You, you came without it. You didn't have, let's just talk about some of the things that make up wholeness. You didn't come into life with great internal contentment. You didn't come into life with the ability to create your own joy. You didn't come into life with the ability to manage your own emotions. You didn't come into life with the ability to serve other people well. You didn't come into life knowing how to live out responsibility. You didn't come into life with the things that tend to make up wholeness. So that's why your mom carried you up and down hallways a million miles when you were a little kid singing to you and patting you. Why? Because you had to borrow your wholeness. You were horizontal. You couldn't stand like this in your own wholeness. You borrowed, and you borrowed from parents. You're supposed to. Yay, that's what's supposed to happen. But then you be, get a little older, you begin to borrow from, from adolescent friends. We sort of joke about it, but that's still what happened. 
Those of you girls in first and second grade, 12 of you went to the bathroom together like one amoeba. You know why? <laughs> because you were borrowing from adolescent friends. You, you were borrowing your happiness. You were borrowing your contentment. You were borrowing your identity. You were borrowing your sense of self-worth. You were borrowing from adolescent friends. You were supposed to. Little boys, we joke about it, but little boys are not to be trusted. You can have the sweetest third grade boy. I mean, this kid is, he's the kindest, sweetest kid in your entire, you know, community. Until his cousins from Chicago come in. <laughs> and the next thing you know, this third grade boy's out with his cousins from Chicago shooting streetlights out. And you go, you big hypocrite, you? No, he's not a hypocrite. He's a third-grade boy who's borrowing his morality from whoever he's around. That's why boys in this room, if I ask you stupid stuff you've done, you have a story to tell me about people. Because you changed your morality by what group you were in. So we're a culture that doesn't have wholeness yet. We borrow from parents, and then we borrow from adolescent friends, and then this stupid culture, and I'm a part of it, I, I realize. You just need a boyfriend or girlfriend. So mamas, maybe well-intentioned, but dumber in post, began to throw dance parties for sixth graders to have dates. In junior high, in middle school, in sophomore. And don't misunderstand me, I'm not afraid of dates. That's not my issue. My issue is that became the answer. We're a Ken and Barbie world. And some of you have such a craving to have a Ken or Barbie walk into your life. I've told this story for I don't know how many years, but it's a true story. I walked through the lobby of our church one day, and sitting there was a little second grade girl, first or second grade. I knew her well. I knew her very well, and she's sitting there crying, and I sat down beside her on the couch, and I go, what's wrong, hon? And she just laid her head against my chest, and she just sobbed, and I just held this little first or second grade girl sitting there in the, in the foyer. When she got done sobbing, she looked at me, and with a lip bouncing and her voice breaking, she said, Mr. Garris, None of the boys in my class will go with me. Go to the monkey bars? Go to the water fountain? I mean, what, what, what's that mean? And I'm trying to, in some ways, keep from laughing, and I, I, I wouldn't have. And then she tore my heart out. Because her next sentence was this, And Mr. Garris, in my class, if none of the boys will go with you, you're a nothing. Some of you have heard that voice in your own life over and over and over again from yourself. Or, or maybe you've just reached, just trying to get the right relationship. Can I tell you, and I'm, I, I know I'm opening a can of worms. Do you want to know why we have the same sex attraction? Because we've given up on that kind of relationship. Maybe it's another one. Because when one thing fails and you get betrayed and betrayed and betrayed, maybe there's a safe place somewhere for me. We're not driven sexually. We're driven emotionally. And that's from a guy 
who has had more lesbian girls in my house that have, I've loved on and loved on and loved on. They crave. And dating with men is not safe. And it didn't work for the people they care. There's stuff going on deeply on this subject. And so the culture says, borrow from a boyfriend or girlfriend. And God says, no. Come to me for your healing. Come to me for your healing. Come to community. Tonight is not bright and chipper. And boy, we get to have some grand conclusion. I'm, I'm, I'm picking Lego blocks. And I'm laying the Lego blocks out this weekend. But I'm going to tell you as a guy, I've been married 47 years. I was just a doofus guy that married a, above my head to an incredible woman. But it has been one of the sweetest, wonderful journeys I could ever imagine. But I can tell you its DNA is this. My wife had wholeness. And I'm confident I was a wobblier one. But my wife chose to love me. And my wife had gone through her own faithful journey. And my wife was able to love me. And, And at some level I had as well. And she was patient with me while I was still kind of getting remedial teaching probably from the Lord. But I stand here as an old man telling you don't sell out. Don't sell out. The scars aren't worth it. The pain isn't worth it. You won't like where that road goes. Wholeness. Which will lead, by the way, to relationship skills and and, and repair in your life. And now when you step into somebody's life, that little five-year-old girl you'll raise, that little girl is one of the most blessed girls on the face of the earth because Christ set the captive free. And you are a free man or woman able to raise this little girl like you should. So the beginning place... is where you exactly think it is. Christ, don't let me bail out of this journey till repair comes. We're going to talk about what that might look like. We're going to talk about what wholeness might look like. We're going to talk about some of this in the other sessions. Let my people go is also biblical. I'm going to let you go. Can I pray for you as the band comes on up? Heavenly Father, you are the Lord of our lives in every part of it. Father, it's not just the church part of our lives that you are Lord of. It is every part. And Father, the redemption you give me is not just the church part of my life, but the redemption of the home that I'm in, of the children that I raise, the neighbor's that have me as a neighbor. Father, the redemption of my whole spirit, soul, and body. Lord, I pray for these young adults. Father, would you give them a grand adventure? Would you write a better story than they ever dreamed, a bigger story than they ever dreamed? Father, would they not sell out for trinkets and baubles, but Father, would they find you to be their healer?
Father, I ask that their community that they live in would teach one another how to love well. Father, would there be depth with you and depth with one another in community so that when the individual home is created, Father, the homework has been done. Father, would we train to godliness? We ask for that in the name of Christ. Thanks for listening. Find out more about Encounter and ways to get involved at isuencounter.org.